Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. We are back live. Nice to see you guys. <laughs> uh in cyberspace i know you're there and uh it's always it's always nice when you come and visit down in Puerto verde and say hey, we've been watching online it's really an encouragement not only that it m- really gives a sense of the family that we have spread out uh, all over the place as one body in christ and it's a wonderful thing so that's just phenomenal so we are moving on into Second Chronicles, and we are in verse 13 and 14. But before we get started, let me see if I can find one of our infamous dad jokes here. The best dad jokes, it actually says. And here we are, and here it is. What do you call a pig with three eyes? Pig or, or pig, I guess if you would say it right. P-I-I-G. Okay. I'm going to put that in there anyway, even though I, I totally blew the joke. <laughs> I, I read it so fast. I was thinking that you would put the E on the end, but it's, you know, piggy makes sense to me anyway. So we will then move on into the reading for today. Father, thank you for this morning. And as always, please, God, help us to see these things with spiritual eyes and not just be looking at this academically and not trying to um, understand the Word of God only with our preconceived notions, but as you intended them to be understood. So thank you for this time we have with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles 13. Abijah succeeds Rehoboam in the 18th year of King Jeroboam. Abijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Micaiah, and the daughter of Riel of Gebeah. Now there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah began the battle with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 chosen men, while Jeroboam drew up in the battle formation against him with 800,000 chosen men who were valiant warriors. Verse 4, then Abijah stood on Mount Zimmerim, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Listen to me, Jeroboam, and all Israel. Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his master. And worthless men gathered about him, scoundrels, who proved too strong for Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when he was young and timid and could not hold his own against them. So now you intend to resist the kingdom of the Lord through the sons of David, being a great multitude and having with you the golden calves, which Jeroboam made for gods for you? Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourselves priests like the people of other nations? Whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams, even he may become a priest. Of what are no gods? But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the sons of Aaron are ministering to the Lord as priests. 
and the Levites attend to their work. Every morning and evening they burn to the Lord burnt offerings and fragrant incense. And the showbread is set on the clean table, and the golden lampstand with its lamps is ready to light every evening, for we keep the charge of the Lord our God. But you have forsaken him. Now behold, God is with us at our head, and the priests with the signal trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you will not succeed. But Jeroboam had set an ambush to come from the rear, so that Israel was in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. When Judah turned around, behold, they were attacked both front and rear. So they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised a war cry, and when the men of Judah raised a war cry, then it was that God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. When the sons of Israel fled before Judah, God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people defeated them with a great slaughter, so that 500,000 chosen men of Israel fell slain. Thus the sons of Israel were subdued at that time, and the sons of Judah conquered because they trusted in the Lord, the God of their fathers. Abijah pursued Jeroboam and captured from him several cities, Bethel with its villages, Jeshanah with its villages, Ephron with its villages. Verse 20, Jeroboam did not again recover strength in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah became powerful and took 14 wives to himself and became the father of 22 sons and 16 daughters. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and his words are written in the treatise of the prophet Edu. Chapter 14, Asa succeeds Abijah. Verse 1, so Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for 10 years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars in the high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed, and there was no one at war with him during those years, because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered, and Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Now, Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300,000 chariots, and he came to Merisha. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephatha at Merisha. And Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord God, for we trust in you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them, 
as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover. And they were shattered before the Lord and before his army. And they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar. For the dread of the Lord had fallen on them. And they despoiled all the cities. There was much plunder in them. So they struck down those who owned livestock. And they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels. And they returned to Jerusalem. Well, when he, when Asa's father went up against Rehoboam, he only had 400,000 men. Asa probably didn't have many, much more than that. Let's give him another 100,000, 500,000 against 1 million, 1 million. I used to watch the, the movies like Lord of the Rings and stuff and thought, ah, it's a little over the top when you see these, you know, armies out on the field. You know, with the, the Hollywood, and it's just, it's just this vast sea of people arising all over the from the horizon, and and the more you read the Bible, you go, wait a minute, this is <laughs> actually it was pretty accurate, and you also think oh, it's impossible such a tiny little army could win over such a and a massive overwhelming army. Uh, Line which in the wardrobe is a good example of that how you know the small little group is routed <laughs> when Aslan shows up. He shows up, and this is kind of the thing that happens here. Asa prays. So back up a little bit to the, to the um, previous chapter. Uh, Rehoboam seems to have woken up from his arrogance and ignorance as a youth. When he first told Jeroboam, hey, I'm going to whip you guys with scorpions, and you're going to obey, and I'm going to be tough, uh, the kingdom splits, and there was war between Jeroboam and Rehoboam continually, it said. They had a lot of wars, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And it seems that as he got older, he got a lot wiser, and he realized and remembered his father Solomon, his early days, his grandfather David, and probably because all of the Levites and Aaron, I mean, all the, pre, the line of Aaron, the, the priests had come back into Jerusalem, and they're still ministering before the Lord. Again, the army of the Lord has has tripled, quadrupled there in Jerusalem. They're probably telling him, uh, Rehoboam, you, you need to focus on worship and the Lord. And so when this massive army comes against him, again, Jeroboam with double the amount of soldiers he has, how does he uh, um, initiate his attack against his enemies? With the word of God, really, in a sense. He says, you think you're coming against us? But we have the temple. We are worshiping. We are, are, are staying true to the Lord our God. And this battle is not a physical battle. You're coming against the Lord your God. He, he recognized that the battles coming against Israel, against Jerusalem, were always spiritual battles. So he finally acknowledges that and says, you won't win because we are doing worship and following our God the way we're supposed to. And you guys are worshiping golden calves. Make anybody a priest that wants to be. You guys are often what the other nations did, are doing, and their pagan worship. That's why God destroyed them through us. You won't win. It was this unusual confidence, but also a unusual, for Rehoboam, um, focus on Yahweh. Praise God. I mean, and it worked. And so he routed Jeroboam. Asa comes along, and he heard all the stories. He is there in Jerusalem, and he realizes, you know what? It is all about Yahweh. It is all about worshiping and letting him be king and not me trying to be king. So we have all of 
everything he does to get rid of all the false worship. There was so much of the remnant of all these pagan gods in the city. And so he gets rid of all those things. And now a greater battle comes up, an impossible battle. One million people coming up against him, literally covering horizon to horizon. And he's got the max 400, 500,000 men. Not even, a, not even a battle. There's no way. Unless the line of Judah steps in. Doesn't say how many men he has, uh, but we do know that God routed them. There's no way that Israel could have. It's amazing to see what God does, especially when we are faithful and, and trust him. Okay, Second Corinthians 4, Paul's apostolic ministry. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, for ourselves as your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with him. All things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentarily, light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Well, the one thing you know, um, Paul was not into the prosperity gospel. I don't think. I'm hesitating because I'm trying to decide if the rest of this section is a part of Corinthians or not. I think it's Charles Spurgeon because I have a big gap between the, the uh, paragraphs. So I'm just going to guess it is. I can't, I can't quite tell yet. But anyway, let me just comment it. Commentate, Come, give my commentary on, on this. Remember Paul in the last chapter speaking about the, the veil that pulled over the eyes of the Jews. They chose to reject Jesus. They wanted to, to focus on the outward observance of the law. 
and, and not the, the inward intent of the law, was to guide men to the Messiah, to show men that they needed a Messiah. And uh, so there was a partial hardening, and God al- allowed it because he allows us, oftentimes, the things we desire the most. People desire sin and drugs and alcohol, and, and he, he gives all every kind of opportunity through witnessing and programs and, and movies and, and, and friends to warn them to get them out of it. But when they finally, finally dedicate their heart to it and say, that's all I want to do, God just uh, sometimes just pulls his hands off and says, okay, go for it. And, and this is kind of the sense with the Jews. There was a partial hardening, but it was actually to complete the work of God. It was being used so that the gospel could be brought to mankind through the cross because they were used to crucify him. So God used the hardness of their hearts and their rejection to accomplish his purposes. He does that. doesn't mean that he himself foreordained that they all be hard and not saved, but they had the choice and they chose. And so God used that. It's, it's, a, it's, it's interesting uh, always to get into those, those conversations with people, but this is really my belief of what happens. So now in this chapter, Paul is saying, look, we are being given as light to the world, to the world so that they can see the hope of salvation that lies within us. And Paul says, during this, we are examples to the world of, of those who are being martyred, in a sense, those who are being brought and persecuted to death so that men could see these men are not tricking us, not hiding anything. Remember, one of the big claims of, of the empty tomb all the way up until today, but especially in the days uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, that the tomb was empty, they said, ah, oh, well, the, well, the um, apostles came and stole the body. Somehow they got by those Roman guards who had to guard it unto death, steal the body, and snuck away and buried him somewhere else. Yet Paul and all the other apostles went to their death uh, and were persecuted, never admitting, um, never could, wanted to, never could for any reason say that Jesus had been buried somewhere else. In other words, they were being martyred, they were being put to the test, they, and their bodies were bearing the marks of suffering to show the reality that the next life is so much better than this one. They're going, hey, what we see now is temporary. What we live for, what we hope for, and the reason why we endure what we endure is because of what is not seen and the glory of what is coming. And therefore, we are symbols to you, to the world of death, our bodies, and all of the hardships we endure, so that you can see and receive and enjoy the life that has been promised in the hope of the resurrection. So this is really powerful, uh, what Paul is doing here. And um, like I said, certainly not Paul focusing on prosperity, because he, he was just the opposite. He says this, and this world is nothing. I don't live for this world and its riches. I live for the next and all that the hope that it has in Christ. So, thinking this is continuing on <laughs> with Charles Spurgeon, which we'll see in a second. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, though he make it not to grow. Second Samuel 23, 5. This is not so much one promise as an aggregate of promises, a box of pearls. The covenant is the ark which contains all things. These are the last words of David, but they may be mine today. Here's a sigh. Things are not with me and mine as I could wish. There are trials, cares, and sins 
These make the pillow hard. Here's the solace. He hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Jehovah has pledged himself to me and sealed the compact with the blood of Jesus. I am bound to my God and my God to me. This brings into prominence a security. Since this covenant is everlasting, well-ordered, and sure, there is nothing to fear from the lapse of time. The failure of some forgotten point or the natural uncertainty of things, the covenant is a rocky foundation to build on for life or for death. Wow. David feels satisfaction. He wants no more for salvation or delectation. He is delighted. The covenant is all the man can desire. O my soul, turn thou this day to thy Lord Jesus, whom the great Lord has given to be a covenant to the people. Take him to be thine all and all. And there you have the reason why everything is, is temporal now. Everything is eternal then. The pact, the covenant that he's made is that he will bring us into the new and permanent kingdom as he comes back for his own. Praise God for that. Let's worship him in prayer. Father, thank you for the blessing that we have in you. Thank you for guiding us into your word, as you always do. And the understanding, God, as we see these things being connected, and we see how you work through the kings of Israel, and you work through the nation of Israel, the lessons that they had to learn over and over again, but also the way that we see you stepping in in the midst of great adversity, impossible um, trials, and impossible uh, um, numbers coming against those that are of God, and how you can and do win those victories when we but trust you and avail ourselves to you and humble ourselves before you. So help us to do that even today, even when the things look impossible for so many in war-torn countries, God. I, I lift up those churches that are in the middle of the battlefields, those in Ukraine and Russia and China, North Korea, those in Africa, those places where Christians are under heavy persecution and they're surrounded by millions of people that would like to silence them. May you be the God of their victory, be the God that protects them and helps them continue to put a fire in the people, make them strong, make them like Asa, make them trust you in the midst of the battles. For us in the West, God, it's more in our jobs and our families. Those that seem to have such a cultural anger and are so uh, trying to destroy anything of morality of, of Christ, of you. So God help us to be as well strong and um, to be resistant to these these changing times. Be sed, steadfast and immovable in you. So thank you for the blessings that you are bringing upon us in that sense. We do want to remember those that are having um, various issues in their bodies. Pray for healing. Those that are going through treatments, those that are going through surgeries. God, please um, hear their cry for help. And thank you for this day that we have. Father, just also want to lift up uh, Roberto and Lulu looking for help financially, as well as Kim and Dean. Dean needing some new work as such a phenomenal technician, God, and, and uh, kind of an internet 
organizer of things that just ask you to bless him as he looks for work and keep healing his daughters. We want to um, thank you for Kathy's healing, that she'd be feeling better and better all the time. Uh, anyone else has been getting treatments that they come uh, just become very, very strong quickly. And for Heather came in, just came out of the hospital being in her healing as well. Continue to do that father. And, um, you get a boy in Carlos in Mexico City as he's feeling so much better that we pray that this that his cancer is completely gone. But for my my brother Joe, uh, Pastor Joe in Busarias, God, with his uh, returning prostate cancer, God, we just pray you can once again route that out of his body. So thank you for what you're doing there in his life, and um, pray for some other brothers and sisters that have just written in asking for specific healing. God, that you be touching their body and, and healing them, needing God, just needing that touch from you. So thank you, God, for what you're doing, and thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go, guys. Thank you once again. Okay, bye-bye. Mm-hmm.